This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 10th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Writer Ryan Scott. Hey, hey everyone. How's it going? Ryan, I feel like, you know, the writer's strike has just begun, but I feel like we are already feeling the news kind of not grind to a halt, but it's slowing down quite a bit. Like usually well, we get a lot of announcements yeah. and stuff like that. And it, it seems like we're getting less of that because there's an unsurety of to, to the future of what's going on in cinema right now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, I mean, it's already it's already been what, eight, eight or nine days, you know, so it's not as though it's super fresh and that's enough time to, you know, because I think the thing right now is you don't you're not really able to announce any new projects because you can't really attach a writer to it. So unless it's something that a script already has completely locked in and there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, writers have a big place on set, be it movie or TV, uh, you know, because these things are sort of ever evolving. So even if something does has a script, it makes it challenging. And yeah, so it, it, it definitely slows things down. And I think it's only going to get worse. I, I as I've been reading quite a bit and I just it just doesn't seem like either side is budging at all, you know, coming up on a week and a half in and I, you know, I don't know, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I, it doesn't seem like it's going to end soon. Yeah. I read some articles, some interviews with some, some writers and some people that I know about the situation and they seem to think it's going to stretch out to at least what we saw uh, 15 years ago, which is almost, almost a half a year, like uh, what was it? Like five months or something like that. Well, the, are you talking about the 2007 strike? Yeah. That was a hundred days exactly. So it was it was a uh, a little over three. So three months, months or a little yeah, over three, three months. Yeah, yeah, it was a hundred yeah, yeah. days exactly. Yeah, uh, it's gonna be tough because uh, there's a lot of <laughs> points on this that I I don't see the studios budging on at least not now, but in, until they're they're desperate. It, it, it's weird because last time I talked to you, Ryan, uh, I mentioned that Andor was one of the the shows that was not going to be affected by this writer strike because Tony Gilroy had uh, passed in uh, all the scripts days before the the strike actually began on May first, and well, it turns out that might not be the case after all. Uh, you know, Disney notoriously put out this uh, this note to all showrunners that they basically would have to continue doing their pro- 
the producer side of their show running duties, even though they, you know, they respect the the strike, uh, they, they, they don't have to do any writing work. They they they're still they still expect them to do the the producing side of their work. Well, uh, Tony Gilroy was going to do that with uh, Andor season two. And then he got a uh, what, what's the word scab? A lot of people uh, calling him a scab uh, for you know working during the writer's strike, even though you know his work for as as a producer. So it it came down to Tony Gilroy actually backing down, and uh, he's now taking a break. He's not going to be doing his producing duties, his non writing aspects of the job uh, while the the strike is happening. Uh, I don't believe, uh, yeah, Lucasfilm and Disney have not commented on this. Uh, but what do you think of this, Ryan? Like, what are your thoughts? Because, I mean, I could see it both ways with a role like a showrunner because they do, they are a producer. You know, part of their job is not writing. But at the same time, if you have them doing that part of the job and then there's a moment in the job that requires yeah something to be written and it's your job as a producer to produce you're put in a situation the, where we'll the lines probably... get way too blurry i think particularly yeah. for a guy like gilroy who's so involved and i also think too it's it you know because he is especially tony gilroy primarily a writer you know before show running here i mean that was you know famously famous script doctor written a bunch of other you know movies so writing is the bulk of what he's done in his hall is in his very impressive career so i think the other thing is to show a solidarity thing right like it's not even about because yeah i do understand you're under contract you're being paid a lot of money by this studio to perform multiple duties but it also does feel like a way for the studios to sort of almost like toe a questionable line of being like you need to perform these other duties but that's definitely going to blur a line so um yeah it, it's 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 i'm with you i see it both sides but i do think ultimately it becomes very difficult for these people to to probably be able to toe that line effectively and and uh, again for a guy like gilroy who's primarily a writer i i see why he would not continue work yeah uh well well another one this was probably a bigger thing is hbo has suspended the wire creator david simon's uh, deal after 25 years they've been working with him for 25 years where did that, that start on did that start in the wire or did it start before the wire i so have no might, idea but it, but i mean you're looking back in 98 yeah so he uh you know uh the wire trem tremmy uh wait i'm pronouncing that right wrong right uh it's treme isn't it treme yes <laughs> Tremé. Uh, show me a hero uh the deuce the plot against america uh you know, so on the onsite of the strike on May 2nd, HBO sent a letter, which was obtained by The Hollywood Reporter, to WGA members uh, who serve in other roles such as showrunners and producers. The letter instructed them to fulfill their non-WGA covered duties. I'll read you a quote here. HBO slash HBO Max respects your membership in WGA and will not do anything to place you in jeopardy of violating WGA rules. However, we believe certain services, such as participating in the casting process and or contributing to non-writing production and post-production work, are clear examples of non-WGA required services that should require to should continue to be rendered during this time, unquote. I mean, some of that seems fair, like the, the casting 
but yeah, the production thing is is kind of I, f- I feel like would at some point require you to rewrite something. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, Simon is taking a firmer line on, uh, and he's sticking to, to the picket line, and uh, that's ending apparently ending his 25 year career. I mean, are you a fan of Simon? Uh, I've seen some of his work, but you know, I mean, we talked a lot about over the course of me being on this podcast that I'm not as much of a TV guy, but, but you look at that resume of credits. I mean, you know, anything shy of the Sopranos, this guy is kind of HBO's. I mean, that guy is HBO. You know what I mean? Like that, that's more or less, um, I, that that's one of your flagship guys, if not the flagship guy. And so I think that's that's incredibly telling as to where this is all at right now and where it's all headed. But um, it also is pretty amazing the amount of solidarity the writers are sort of showing at this point. It shows just how crucial some of what they're arguing for is and, you know, how hard these lines are in the sand right now. Yeah. And by the way, I, I should clarify that David Simon, uh, he went on Twitter and he posted a video of him uh, in the picket line. He said, on the day that the HBO called to suspend my deal after 25 years of writing television for them, I was doing the right thing. And he uh, write with R W R I T E. And uh, he did confirm that the uh, that that it was in response to him, not uh falling by by their rules so i don't know uh to burn that bridge with someone's like so profitable and so part of like hbo's history is 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 kind of crazy to me i think uh we're only beginning to see <laughs> what's going to happen with the the strike and it's going to get a lot dirtier i think yeah um, one, one thing i would recommend uh there's a there's a really good book about HBO's history called It's Not TV. Um, I believe oh, yeah. that's what it's called. Uh, and I read that late last year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Not TV, The Spectacular Rise, Revolution, and Future of HBO. Uh, if you get a chance, there's a lot of... Yeah, I br- bring that up because there's obviously a lot of David Simon talking there. And, but it's, it's a really phenomenal look at, you know, not only that network, but particularly Simon's contributions to it. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure we're going to be talking a lot more about the writer's strike in, in the weeks to come, and you'll, you'll probably get sick of it as we talked about you know the pandemic and that, how that was affecting uh, theaters and production and stuff like that. It, it feels like it's going to be a big thing, and we, we hope that the, some deal can be uh, – that they can come to a deal – uh, that that uh, somehow brings both parties together in some way, uh, but again, you know, we're we're writers at heart, so we we uh, we side with the writers. Um, but uh, you know, one thing that's interesting to me is like with all this going on, production shutting down, you know, uh, and or not going, you know, uh, uh, Tony Gilroy not going into production with and or that that being on pause, we get the news that Beetlejuice two is actually beginning filming today, I think it was. Yeah, so that's what Variety reported anyway. So the big news is that Warner Brothers has given Beetlejuice 2 a release date. For as little as has actually been confirmed about this, it seems like it's pretty much done deal. Tim Burton very quietly has been confirmed to return to direct. Um, 
uh, Jenna Ortega is is in the cast, and she is playing Lydia Dietz's daughter. Um, no word yet on it if any of the other prior cast members are returning, but Michael Keaton will be back as Beetlejuice. Uh, Justin Theroux has joined the cast in an, in an unspecified role, and when the release date came out, uh, which will be September 6th, 2024, by the way, so this is well on the way, um, kind of that pre-Halloween window. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, the Variety stated that the filming will begin on May 10th in London, and May, well, what do you know? May 10th is today, so. Um, now, again, but this gets to the whole point. Okay, unless that script is word for word locked in and Burton isn't going to, uh, you know, touch a thing, you know, it, it, you you wonder how this can keep moving, but uh, supposedly they're they're going to they're going to make it work. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the, the movie's got a release date now. And for all these years and years and years of, of talk about a Beetlejuice sequel, it is finally happening. Um, so uh, look for Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian in theaters next fall. <laughs> You're joking about the title, right? I am joking about that. Okay. If anyone doesn't know, there was a Kevin Smith very famously tells a story about when he got brought into Warner Brothers and ultimately ended up writing uh, Superman Lives. He talked about that they were offering him some stuff. And one of them was we got a Beetlejuice sequel we want to do. And this script at the time was called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Um, and, uh, the, you know, so that's how long they've been trying to make this damn movie. So, you know, here we go. Well, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, think that Tim Burton, they look at Tim Burton as an auteur that, you know, writes and directs, but he actually didn't write Beetlejuice 1. There's like three other credited writers. Do we know who wrote Beetlejuice 2? Yeah, so I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, oh, no. Mike Vukadinovich, uh, who worked on uh, that show Kidding. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, per variety pen to the most recent screenplay, but this has been in development for a very long time. So it's one of those things where it seems like quite a few writers had their hand in it. So I'll be interested to see who ultimately gets credited, but that's who they're saying wrote this script. So, see, I don't even know about this. So if, if Michael Keaton is on set of Beetlejuice, right, and he improvises a line... Is he being a scab? I don't know. I, I don't know how any of that works because that's technically writing. And if Michael Keaton is a member of the WGA, I would imagine I don't think he, he is. is. Is he? Or maybe he isn't. I don't know. I mean, he's been in the business a long time. If he's written <laughs> anything, but but yeah. I, but 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 yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that works. So I guess it only if you're an actor and a, like Justin Theroux is a very very prolific writer in addition to being an actor. You know, he co-wrote Tropic Thunder. And so Justin Theroux being on set, whatever he's doing, if he throws out a line, that gets credited as writing. And he is definitely a member of the WGA. That's where things seem like they would get tricky. Is Tim Burton WGA? He must be, right? He must be. He's written a ton over the years, aside from yeah. So, yeah, I mean, he's got to be. So, again, oh. that's where this gets really complicated. Okay, we have a lot of Star Wars stuff to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, let's talk about the Star Wars stuff. Let's uh, let's start first with uh, Kathleen Kennedy. She's doing uh, a lot of press out of Star Wars Celebration. Uh, a bunch of it has been in, uh, I think, Empire released. I think it was almost like 20 pages worth of coverage, right? And the, the recent Empire Magazine issue. So we've been covering a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, she was asked about the other Star Wars film projects that were announced. Um, and she kind of gave sort of updates 
So uh, she says, uh, as for the Ryan Johnson trilogy that was announced, she says, quote, Ryan and I talk all the time. He just keeps getting more and more successful and it keeps moving things back further and further. One day we'll figure it out, unquote. Ryan, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've asked you this on the podcast, but do you think this is ever going to happen, the Ryan Johnson movies? Uh, no. We talked about this. Didn't we talk about this yeah. Monday? Yeah, no. We might, we, <laughs> Look, we here's have. the thing. I'm not commenting on The Last Jedi. I'm not saying yeah, a yeah, damn yeah. thing about The Last Jedi. I am just saying that if those movies were going to happen, which were announced before The Last Jedi was released almost six years ago, something would have happened. It is not happening. It is never happening. I just don't think, I think the only reason this even keeps floating around at all is just because Lucasfilm doesn't want it, doesn't want the the narrative that, because if they say that's not happening, it's going to fuel the narrative that The Last Jedi was bad, actually. It's going to fuel the worst parts of the internet. It's going to make them seem like they can't keep filmmakers around. So they're never going to say it's not happening. They're just not. They're just going to let it hopefully eventually die. But like, but here's the other thing, Ryan. I, you know, I've talked to people at Lucasfilm, and I, I think at least Lucasfilm believes that it could happen at some point. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not just a cover story. What basically what I'm saying? I'm not saying like they believe it's going to happen. They be- they believe that it isn't dead. If that makes sense. Okay. Dead is one because I think the thing is the, the what's if you want to get into the logistics of it, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Th- there's no way they could have moved forward with it as fast as they probably would have liked to in the aftermath yeah. of the conversation of Last Jedi. So Ryan Johnson had to keep himself busy. What he ended up keeping himself busy with was a three movie franchise that is going to make him enough money to never have to work again. So he's got one more movie he's got to make for Netflix and he's got to make that next. No question about that. By the way, the so, crazy thing is he'll make more probably off the third one of those movies than he probably did off. He's going to make Jedi. more money off of those Knives Out movies than he's than he ever made off of Star Wars. There's no <laughs> question. But but anyway, uh, uh, which is again, that's a whole other conversation. But so so he is at least going to be busy till, let's say, 2025 with that because he hasn't even you know, there's no. So so then at that point, he could potentially turn let, let's say let's say lucasfilm did want this to happen he could potentially turn his attention back to hey lucasfilm how's about that trilogy and then at that point it's you're you're approaching what would be a decade after the last jedi if you got him writing and and maybe working toward let's say a 2027 release date you know yeah. like but, but so that would be and, and at that if, point you don't know who's in charge there i'm not saying that kathleen kennedy is not going to be in charge but i mean it's hollywood do you know what I mean like things change well, all yeah. the time? And also Kathleen Kennedy's been doing this a while. Nobody keeps those jobs forever. Yeah. You know, she she she's had this job since what, 2013? How how many times does it happen in Hollywood where a new person becomes in charge and then basically all the other the old stuff, which was under the you know, the old regime, like becomes uninteresting. You know, that person wants to do their their stuff. Not or, the... if, or suddenly something becomes interesting again, right? Like this yeah. wasn't happening. But, but again, I'm just saying, even if you look at, like, they definitely want to make this happen, the logistics of making it happen aren't possible for even a handful of years. Yeah. You no, know, I, so, I agree. Plus, when you take into account what they announced at Star Wars Celebration, they seem very committed to making those three movies. And if we go with uh, Kathleen Kennedy's comments of we want to release a Star Wars movie every three or four years, good luck ever getting to those Ryan Johnson movies. 
Well, so I'm just saying that logistically, even if people at Lucasfilm don't believe it's dead, show me where you can make this happen anytime remotely soon. Oh, yeah. Well, she, she also answered, uh, as for, uh, they asked about Taika Waititi's movie, and he, she said, and Taika is working away. He's just, and he won't get mad at me for saying this, slow. We've got a couple of acts. We need a third. I love how old school Kathleen Kennedy is and like no other producer would say that would call a writer slow, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. It sounds like that might still happen. She says, Ian Lando is still in the books and rogue squadron is still on the books. Oh, bull. Sorry. We, we just want them to be great. So that's uh, the end of the quote. But again, they're not just going to say something's not going to happen. Because yeah. so many projects have fallen apart behind the scenes. And the last thing they want to do is admit that, like, they have had a hard time working with filmmakers and keeping projects going. Yeah. So, you know, for whatever reason, I don't know who to blame. I do not know enough about the inner workings of Lucasfilm. But it is impossibly clear that they have had a very, very, very hard time working with A-list creative filmmakers. No question. Like, you well can... Yeah. So, you know, they don't want to feed that narrative. So if they start saying that, you know, these things have been canceled or these things aren't going to move ahead, then it, you know, then, yeah, it sort of feeds that. Well, one thing I will say is it does seem like Kathleen Kennedy is trying to take a hold of that narrative because, you know, at, at I think it was that celebration she was or sometimes she, maybe it was right before celebration. She was asked about the Kevin Feige produced Star Wars project. And she said something like, oh, that was just like fan that was reported. That was never announced by us. That was just fan stuff. Like I've never heard a pitch from Kevin. If Kevin wants to come in. I'm not quoting here. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. If Kevin wants yeah. to come in uh, and pitch something, I'm more than happy to listen. Uh, then fans were like, wait a second. Uh, you know, the, the star Wars show on star, uh, the star Wars YouTube channel announced it officially. So officially, it was kind of announced by Lucasfilm. And then and on, Michael on top Waldron, of that, who was writing it, was talking about it in the press, you know, which you're not allowed to do at all if you're not, you know, so like he couldn't say anything about it, obviously, but he had talked about like, yeah, you know, we're working on. It. So they had at least started drafting it a little bit. This was more. And the Russo brothers were <laughs> we can talk about that a bit. But like, yeah, so, I, you know, yeah, that that one always struck me as a little bit like, OK, come on. Yeah, uh, yeah, th that's the new thing is, uh, so Joe Russo was on the Smartless podcast and uh, he confirmed that he could have, that the Russo brothers could have been involved with Kevin Feige's Star Wars film. He said, uh, we love Star Wars. There were, there were early conversations. There were some early conversations with us. Kevin Feige is a huge Star Wars fan. And there were some early conversations about maybe teaming up with Kevin to do Star Wars, unquote. So I, I really want to know the story of what this project was going to be. Do any other high profile A-list directors have more time for interviews than the Russo brothers? I feel like those dudes are in the, I feel like they talk a lot. Like they, I, I, I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. I'm just saying that like, man, those dudes really, they spend a lot of time talking to journalists or on well, podcasts. They're like, they really do. Oh, they do. Uh, well, I think they, they've, you know, they've been, uh, get, say what you will about the Russo brothers, but they've been very good at using their uh, profile at, with doing these Marvel films to elevate their careers. And, uh, 
become a you yeah. know like they've become a production company you know they've they've really uh, been doing some good stuff but they also have like a speaking of youtube if, if you go to youtube i think they have like a movies and pizza where they, they do. like I, I quite enjoy their conversation they sit down like they, they're really long too like i watched the Zack snyder one and then they had on uh em- emerald Fennell. is that the her name who did like promising young woman i think so um but yeah, they have. They, so I think that. But I think what's look again. You can say what you will about the Rooster Brothers. As well, it's a different conversation entirely. But they've also attempted to create like original stuff outside of Marvel. Like Extraction mm-hmm. was it now an original <laughs> franchise that didn't exist before. You know, you had like a mid-budget, old-school '90s action movie with like 21 Bridges. They got off the ground. Like so, they're they're trying to do stuff that's not necessarily just IP based, which I appreciate. You know, I I think that they're wildly irresponsible with money a lot of the time. But like other than that, I at least appreciate what they're trying to do. Yeah, I will say that they haven't been successful in the stuff that they've been producing, but they have successfully produced it, which is a hell of a challenge to do. Like with the amount of money that they've gotten on some of those projects, Um, so they've they've really you know, what did they do before? They got they got to Marvel. What was the uh... community? They did a lot of TV. Community and Arrested <laughs> Development were their big credits. Yeah, and you mean Dupree? Maybe I think that was the one. Yeah, I think that was the one they did. Which like, yeah, forgettable studio comedy, but yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, their careers definitely was elevated by working working with Marvel, Marvel, and um, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll ever, we're ever going to hear about this Kevin Feige project if it'll ever actually happen. But it seems to me weird weird that like. Kathleen Kennedy claims that Kevin Feige never came in and pitched anything, but Kevin Feige hired a screenwriter, which uh, takes – it requires some money from Disney's part to hire a screenwriter. And, and, and Unless, like, Feige not working paying on him out of pocket, which Disney would never allow. I mean, there is the possibility that Michael Waldron had a studio deal. Um, which could just be part of the studio deal in some way, and but that's still, to... but the studio still got to sign off on that. Yeah, yeah, it's but in that, then Kevin Feige's talking to possible directors. I mean, it was probably just a casual conversation. Well, and not that, really I like... don't even know if he would be talking to them about direct. Maybe they were going to come on as producers or something. I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah. But like, but but yeah, it's a why. It's a it's it's. But it's would, would he bit... be talking to them as producers or directors even before he pitches it to Kathleen? Kennedy? Well, no, know, that's that my point. Is this movie? The 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 notion of Kathleen Kennedy's account of that is utterly insane. Like no matter how and it, look, I'm not here to I'm not poo pooing all over Kathleen Kennedy. I'm not one of those people. She's one of the most successful producers in Hollywood history. Yeah. You've got to respect that. And like and but I'm saying her what she said about Kevin Feige's Star Wars movie is straight up weird and seems straight up wrong. Like it does. I just yeah. don't know how it, 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 that it seems inaccurate, is. even though I don't know the facts. It, it seems right. like it, it can't it just, be possible. Uh, the weird forensic science that journalists have to do sometimes of taking a bunch of disparate pieces of information and putting them together, create a somewhat <laughs> clear story, like taking stuff that was put through a shredder to try to assemble a face like it. It just that that this it just seems like what she's saying is not correct. And yeah. I don't know how this. Because what's what's absolutely true is that that Star Wars movie that Kevin Feige pitched or was producing, working on, got to a certain point. There's no question about that. He talked about it. Waldron talked about it. The Russos talked about it. How that gets to that point without Kathleen Kennedy hearing a word about it, 
I don't know. <laughs> like, because that's what know. she seems to be indicating. So, but whatever. I, I think she hurt. I think they had a, he went in and pitched. I think that, I think she just doesn't want like this narrative of like these projects being announced and not happening. And she's like, oh, this is a thing that we never even announced. But she probably forgot that it was confirmed on the Star Wars show at one point. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, One last thing of Star Wars I wanted to talk about is Dave Filoni did an interview with Empire Magazine uh, at Star Wars Celebration. And uh, they were talking about what he's working on, the the movie he's working on uh, that is going to be a uh, – trying to find the quote here. Uh, I guess they've said this movie is going to be kind of like the finale or a grand – it's essentially going to be like the culmination of all culmination. Of the, that's the word I was looking for. But it's but let, let's be honest. It's just going to be an adaptation, a loose adaptation of Heir to the Empire, which just hearing those words out loud makes me so deeply excited. Well, let's say they haven't said that yet. I mean, they oh, said it's, those it's words in the Ahsoka trailer, but they haven't said <laughs> But OK, let, let's read here. So uh, this we said the way I look at it, there are some there are small stories and there's the big story of the day, too. A New Hope, Empire, Return of the Jedi tell the important parts of the tale that really define the history of the period. There are, are all kinds of sub-stories underneath that. We've been building all these small stories. To me, a theatrical experience has to be a big idea, a monumental moment in the time period that changes what's happening. What Tony Gilroy has done in Andor and what we did in Rebels, everything then changes when Luke blows up the Death Star, you're looking for those moments to define an era, and that's what that's what the films really should be about. Whether it's characters coming together or defining a moment, there are little things along the way that I've built across different mediums, all in preparation for things that come later. And then, um, well, I think before I get to the next quote, I want to say that the interesting thing here is he's, he's talking about theatrical movies, which is he's making a theatrical movie, right? And he says that for those theatrical movies, you're looking for those moments that define an era, right? Then he, uh, when asked if Thrawn is the big bad of the New Republic era that he, you know he's working on with Mandalorian and Ahsoka and uh, all the stuff in between, I guess uh, the it's original worth just trilogy. Very quick clarification for people's New Republic era is like post Return of the Jedi, pre Force Awakens. Yeah, so they're they're basically saying that there's an era there in between those two trilogies that didn't exist previously. Like we because I mean we didn't really have many books and stuff in the Disney canon in between those. Uh so when asked if Thrawn is the big bad in the New Republic era, uh, Filoni answered without hesitation, definitely in my eyes. He said, Thrawn has become a very iconic villain because he was different than anything we'd seen before. He wasn't another helmet-wearing, lightsaber-wielding b- bad guy. So this, to me, I think points to your theory that we're getting heir to the Empire. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hardly a theory at this point, but Yeah. <laughs> Well, it, it, until they confirm it, Ryan, it's still a theory. But yeah, I suppose I, I. But okay, even if they're not going to call it heir to the empire, it's Thrawn. It's in that same time period. It's 
it, him taking the remnants of the empire to attempt to take back control. It's the core elements of that story. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's clear that Thrawn is the big bad of this era, and and uh, I like that he's coming right out and saying it, and and I think it indicates that we're going to see a lot of Thrawn, not just like a little bit of Thrawn, like a lot of Thrawn. He's going to be a big character in all this. Yeah. I like his read of this, though, too. What makes a movie... He doesn't say that this is what makes TV or this is what makes books and stuff like that. But, like, I like his read of, like, to be the theatrical movie, it has to be, like, those big moments because that that explains why, like, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi as a series, even though it probably would have made a better movie, probably deserved to be a TV show because it isn't really a moment that defines an... Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it's not really a bigger moment. Yeah, I do, I do agree with you that I like his read on that. Like, if you're going to look at what defines a show versus a movie... I do sort of like that read. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, you can find more of all of our work at slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, at, uh, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please write and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.